0: I want to thank you for joining us again like this. I hope as these weeks go by, your longing to be back together face-to-face is growing, and your anticipation of that day is high. I know ours is, those of us who are gathered in this room. I think I felt the strangeness of all of this business last week more than ever as we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. It was unlike any Easter I have ever experienced. I hope it is unlike any Easter I ever will experience in the future. It was a week that we will never forget for sure. And because it was Easter last week, we took a break from our study of Colossians to focus our attention entirely on the resurrection of Jesus. Predictably, we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we saw these three things. First, the resurrection of Jesus is really important. Second, The resurrection of Jesus really happened. And third, the resurrection of Jesus makes a really big difference for us. And we do not want to forget any of that. In fact, let's make sure that that is the foundation upon which we stand as we walk through our text in Colossians today, knowing that the commands we will see there in Colossians rest on the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the powerful change that God has brought to our lives through Him, by grace, through faith. So we are going to get back to Colossians today, and we're actually going to finish up the last bit of exhortation. Next week, we will move on in the letter to the final greetings as Paul shares with the believers in Colossae. Remember, Colossians is structured like most of Paul's letters. The first part of the letter is about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel, spelled out, explained, even defended. Then, after laying out the truth, Paul pivots to call the people to action in response to the truth that he has laid out with a series of commands, exhortations, directions, warnings, and calls to action. That's what we have been seeing over the last several weeks in Colossians. More particularly, over the last three times we gathered around Colossians, we've been looking at this final exhortation, which is really one thought, but I've divided it into three sermons. We saw the call to prayer in general in verse 2 of chapter 4. Then we saw the specific prayers that, that Paul wants for his team and for himself as they preach the gospel. We saw that in verses 3 and 4. He said, pray that, doors, that God will open doors, that doors will be opened. And we said that we want to be praying that way in this season, that doors will be open for us to speak forth the mystery of the gospel. Uh, not only doors in opportunity to preach, but doors in people's hearts to receive the message of the gospel. Secondly, we saw in Paul a real commitment to proclaim that gospel message, a real desire to proclaim it. And we want to be committed to proclaiming the message of the gospel. And then lastly, last time we were in Colossians, we saw the prayer for clarity that Paul says that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Um, We want to be clear as we present the gospel, and we want people to be clear as they hear the gospel. We don't don't want there to be any unnecessary obstacles to the the preaching and the reception of the gospel. So that's what we saw in verses 3 and 4. And today, what we're going to see is the obligation of all believers to be involved in the spread of the gospel by our verbal witness and our behavioral witness in the world. There's a shift in the text today from Paul's ministry of spreading the gospel to our ministry of spreading the gospel. And I think that this week's text is especially timely for us in this coronavirus lockdown as it stretches into, what is it, the 47th week of the coronavirus lockdown, 48th week, something like that. Patience is running thin. Frustrations are high. Words are getting sharp. And as God's people, we need to be really careful during this season not to ruin our witness for the gospel by causing offense over something other than the gospel. And we also must be really careful to see and seize all the unique opportunities God is giving us during this season to both speak and show the gospel to the people around us. So we're going to look today at Colossians chapter four, verses two through six, paying careful attention to verses 5 and 6. So let's read it together, starting in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. God's Word says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray together. Father, you have made us new people by your grace through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. We are not who we were. We are no longer slaves to sin and slaves to the flesh. We are no longer of this world. We have been raised from the dead. We have been made righteous by Christ. We have been called out and set apart as your chosen, holy, and beloved children. And so we ask that you would help us to live in a way that honors you in all things. Help us to live in a way that fits with the calling we have received. Help us to be in this world but not of this world, in ways that are obvious to everyone around us. Especially during this season of high anxiety and tension, we pray that you will help us by your Spirit to live with wisdom toward outsiders in how we speak, in how we live, in how we respond to the stressors in our own lives. Show us the open doors all around us. And give us boldness to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of this unique season and interesting time. And, O Lord, help us with our tongues. Let our speech be life-giving and helpful, pointing people always to your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So in this text, there are two main imperatives, two main commands. One has to do with how we walk, and the other has to do with how we talk. So in verse 5, we will see that we are to walk with wisdom, and in verse 6, we will see that we are to talk with grace. That's the general outline of the text today as we look at it. So look at verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Now, I believe it would be helpful for us to go back in Colossians to the very beginning of the letter and to see Paul's introductory prayer for the people in Colossae as he uh, prays for them to walk in a right way. Look what it says in chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Chapter 1, starting in verse 9. It says, "...for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will." in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so we see that idea of walking in a manner worthy of the lord even from the very beginning of this letter And what you need to understand is what New American Standard translates as conduct yourselves at the beginning of verse 5 is translated by the ESV as walk. And it is definitely this broad application about our total way of life. And in this text, he tells us to walk with wisdom, to walk with wisdom. Now, that principle may be taught most easily by outlining what the opposite of that would look like. What does it look like to walk foolishly? What does it look like to walk foolishly in this world? Well, all you have to do is turn on the news. All you have to do is scroll through social media. We see foolish living all around us in this world. But foolish living is not just out there in the world. Foolish living is also in the church. John MacArthur warns that even believers can at times live like fools. And he especially talks about how we as believers live like fools by living for money, by chasing a paycheck, or by being legalistic in our approach to our justification before God, thinking that we can earn a spot of favor with Him. And we can imagine other ways that believers live foolishly by living just like the rest of the world. That's how we can live foolishly, is by living like the rest of the world. But we, in this text, are called here to live with wisdom. John Piper defines wisdom this way. He says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. And man, we face a lot of situations where the rule book runs out. We don't have a very clear outline, chapter and verse, black and white passage to go to to say, this is what I should do here. This is what I should do there. And Piper is right when he says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. And we are called to be people who walk with wisdom. Piper goes on and outlines four sources of wisdom. You want to gain wisdom so that you can walk with wisdom? There are four sources of that wisdom. First is meditation. Meditation, particularly on the scriptures. Don't When we say meditation, don't have in your mind sitting uh, crisscross applesauce and, and saying om, um, but rather filling your mind up with the truth of God's word. Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So if you want to grow in wisdom, you need to grow in your meditation on God's Word. Another way to grow in wisdom is through prayer. In fact, God promises, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely, who gives generously to all who ask in faith. That's in James. So we can pray for wisdom, and God will give it. We can also seek sound counselors. We can also seek advice from brothers and sisters. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us for the walk of the Christian life is a community of believers. And one of the particular gifts he's given us within the community of believers is people who are ahead of us in the race, people who are more mature in the faith than we are, people who have lived more years on the earth than we have, and we can go to them and talk to them and receive sound counsel, wise counsel from trusted brothers and sisters. And then finally, Piper says that another source of wisdom is the practice of these principles in real life one of the ways you grow in wisdom is by living one of the ways you grow in wisdom is by doing and sometimes we grow in wisdom through the mistakes we make we can look back and say that wasn't that was foolish uh that was not wise and i have learned wisdom because of that and so we are called in this text to live with wisdom and as piper talks about those things uh he's talking there about spiritual wisdom but this text also contains a uh, a directive about strategic wisdom. H.B. Charles Jr. uses that phrase in the text, points to strategic wisdom. Notice at the end of verse five, Paul says, making the most of the opportunity, making the most of the opportunity. The old King James version says, redeeming the time. And this is particularly important for us during this stay at home season. We want to pursue, we want to pursue spiritual, um, spiritual wisdom through the means that we talked about, but we also want to have strategic wisdom to know that God has given us this season for a purpose and we must leverage this season, this stay at home season for the glory of God. And so H.B. Charles Jr., as he walks through this, he asks some questions. He says, are you redeeming the time? Are you making the most of this time? This is, this is for introspection. Uh, and this is convicting to me. Are you Redeeming the time, making the most of the time, or are you wasting this time? I wonder if, if I'm the only one on the planet, or maybe even in this room, that gets an update from Siri on Sunday morning at about nine o'clock about my screen time for the week. Does that, does that happen to everyone, or is that just the Holy Spirit through Siri telling me on, on Sunday morning, wow, your screen time was up 22% this past week? That's that's convicting, right? So it's everybody? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that everybody who has an iPhone or Apple product gets that alert on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock because God can use that to ask us this question. Am I redeeming the time or am I wasting the time? And we are called in this text to redeem this time, to redeem this coronavirus lockdown. H.B. Charles Jr. also asked this. Are you making the most of the opportunities that God gives you Or are you missing opportunities because you're giving yourself to something else? Because you're giving yourself to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Are you making the most of these godly opportunities, kingdom advancing opportunities that God has given you? Or are you missing those opportunities because you are uh, indulging in other things that don't lead to the growth of the kingdom of God? Uh, Paul says in this text, we are to walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. And I really want us to wrestle with whether or not we are making the most of this time. And notice also, there seems to be a sense of urgency in the text. Is there a sense of urgency in your life? Is there is there a sense where we've just got a little bit of time? We've just got a little bit of time here on this earth. We've just got a little bit of time where our lives are disrupted for this season. We've just got a little bit of time and we want to make the most of it. And, and as I was thinking about that, we've just got a little bit of time. I was, I was thinking about several questions I've had uh, from people like, do you think, do you think this whole worldwide pandemic is part of the end of days, the end of times? I don't know about that. But I know we're getting closer and closer to that all the time. I know that our time on this earth is limited. There is a limited season for us to preach the gospel. There is a limited season for people to hear and believe and turn to Jesus to be saved. And we want to make the most of that time and live with a sense of urgency. And I think this season, this coronavirus lockdown season, is a great time for us to live with a sense of urgency. But notice in verse 5 that all of this, all of this live with wisdom, make the most of the time, is in reference to outsiders. And so here's the big principle that I want you to get from, from verse 5. The overarching principle is that they are watching how we walk. The outsiders are watching how we walk. And as they watch us, they are learning about the gospel by the way that we live. They are learning about the Lord Jesus Christ through the way that we live. The question then is, what are they learning about Jesus as they observe us? What are my neighbors, what are my lost friends learning about Jesus as they observe how I live? Are they learning that he is my treasure? Are they learning that he is the source of my greatest joy and pleasure? Are they learning that he is my Lord and it's obvious that I'm submitting my life to him? What? are my lost neighbors learning as they watch the way I live. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about how we we must preach the gospel. Like with words, we must preach the gospel. Paul's desire, as he voices it in the prayer, is that he would be given open doors to speak forth the mystery of Christ with clarity. And this point in the text is about our walking witness and it does not undermine our speaking witness. though They both must happen is what I'm getting at. In fact, this text about our walking witness only supports the, the principle that we must also speak the gospel. So the question that we often get around the church is, are we to be witnesses with our lifestyle or with our proclamation? Are we to be Creatures of the gospel, or are we to be people who live with Christ's likeness so that people can observe the gospel in our lives? Are we to have a lifestyle of evangelism or a proclamation of evangelism? And the answer is yes, both, always. In fact, the doctrinal statement, the statement of faith of First Baptist Church, which is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, says in section 11 on evangelism and missions that these two things go hand in hand that our lifestyle witness and our verbal witness travel together. It is always both, all the time. Look what it says. It says, It is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. The new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. Missionary effort on the part of all rests thus upon a spiritual necessity of the regenerate life and is expressly and repeatedly commanded in the teachings of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has commanded the preaching of the gospel to all nations. It is the duty, listen to this, it is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the loss to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with the gospel of Christ. You catch that at the end? By verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about, about walking with wisdom. It is that Christian lifestyle that is going to undergird our proclamation of the gospel. So, number one, let's walk with wisdom. And number two, let's talk with grace. Look at verse six. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We, as believers, must be proclaiming the truth of the gospel verbally. We must speak with clarity about the holiness and righteousness of God. We must speak with clarity about the sinfulness and rebellion of man and how we deserve only judgment from the holy God. And we must speak with clarity about the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for sinners, how He died for our sins and was buried and was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. We must speak with clarity about the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for us. And we must speak with clarity about the urgency of eternity and the importance of repentance and faith as a response to the gospel message. We must speak those things out. And I believe this text is talking about our preaching of the gospel. But it's not limited just to that. When he says that our speech should always be with grace, he's not just talking about our speech when we're preaching the gospel. He's talking about all of our speech. All of our speech, kind of like the first part of the text, was not just about how we walk when we're together with the church. It's about how we walk all the time. This text is also about how we talk not just when we're preaching the gospel, but when we're talking about baseball or the weather or whatever. All of our speech is to be with grace. You know, the Bible has a ton to say about our speech, a ton to say about the power of words in our lives and in the lives of other people. That's why Dylan read from James chapter 3 at the beginning of the service. James chapter 1 verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. It's a pretty powerful statement, right? This man's religion is worthless. The book of Proverbs is full of little bits about the power of speech, the importance of speech. I'll share just two of them with you, Uh, although it would be a wise thing to look at everything that Proverbs has to say about our speech. Look at chapter 16, verse 21 to 24. It says, "...the wise in heart will be called uh, understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness." Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Listen to verse 24. "...pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones." That's the kind of speech we're talking about here. Speech with, with grace is sweet like honey, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Look at Proverbs 25, starting in verse 11. It says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. I like that because it, because it teaches that even hard words are good for us sometimes. Even hard words are a gift, uh, especially when they are brought with grace. Jesus himself talks a lot about speech. In fact, he makes a pretty bold statement in Matthew chapter 12. Look at it starting in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Get the principle there? The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That's convicting. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There's a lot going on there, and I'll boil it down to say this words matter. The kids, kids lie when they say, Sticks and stones break my bones, words never hurt me. Oh, words matter big time. And Paul's lesson here in this text in Colossians is that the content of our speaking. And even the tone of our speaking should be gracious. It's the first thing he tells us. It should be gracious. Ultimately, the message of our lips and the message of our lives is the message of grace, right? Grace, God's grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And therefore, even the way we communicate, everything else for that matter, needs to be gracious. That if if our lives are marked by grace and transformed by grace, then all of our speech should be with grace. John MacArthur says, to speak with grace means to say what is spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, purposeful, complimentary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. At our house, we have three filters that we want to work things through before we speak it. John MacArthur has like 17, right? Laura often teaches us at our house, we need to ask ourselves three questions before we speak. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it helpful? Number three, is it kind? Right? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is Is it kind? And those are three good questions to ask before we talk about something. Because sometimes we can say stuff that is true, but is neither helpful nor kind. Uh, And and some of us have a tendency toward that. And and we've got to be really careful with it. Because we want our speech to be always with grace. We want our speech to be with grace, and so we need to consider the things that we say before we say them. But notice, he doesn't just say, let your speech be with grace. He says, as though seasoned with salt. We want our speech to be salty. And there is a relatively new slang term around my house, at least, over the last few years. Uh, If someone is a little short, a little grumpy, a little upset, maybe just generally has a bad tone, my kids will say, she's salty. One might even say that Sophie is a little salty right now since the governor announced the end of school. Senior year isn't ending quite the way Sophie had hoped, and she is salty because of it. Well, Paul means exactly the opposite of that. When he he says that our speech is to be seasoned with salt, he means the exact opposite of that gruff tone. He means that salt is good. For Paul and his readers, salt was a good thing. (laughs) It was a thing that preserves and prevents decay. It was something also that adds flavor. And our speech needs to be like that. Our speech needs to be flavorful. It should taste good. It should be appetizing and it should be sustaining. R.C. Sproul describes our speech like this. He says, read the New Testament. And it becomes clear that the freedom the gospel brings should make Christians the most engaging people on the planet. We should be the most engaging people on the planet because we've, we've got life and light inside of us. We've got hope that overwhelms us. And therefore, when we speak, we should be the most engaging people on the planet because we've got something that no one else has. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should be, our speech should be seasoned with salt. When Piper talks about this, he says, the wonderful thing about Paul's advice here is that the best way to prepare to be an advertisement for the satisfying taste of Jesus is to enjoy Him yourself. Every day we should go to the Bible and look for reasons why knowing Christ is the greatest thing in the world. Like if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna have this salty taste to other people, we need to know how good the Lord tastes ourselves. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good so that when we talk with people, they will taste and see that the Lord is good. Our speech generally should taste good now we're not we're not going to chase this too far because there are times where we are preaching the gracious truth of the gospel to people and it doesn't taste good to them they, they just reject it but that's not that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about generally uh we we shouldn't be offensive with our speech like if, if someone is offended by us by the gracious proclamation of the gospel that's one thing. If someone is offended by us because we rant and rave on Facebook about politics and conspiracy theories and things like that, and they're turned off uh, because of something other than the gospel, that's a different thing that we want to avoid. We're willing to, be, we're willing to be an offense for the gospel's sake. We should not be offensive for anything else. So let's be careful, especially during the season. But you know what? One of the things that salt also does is it doesn't just make stuff taste good. It makes people thirsty. It makes people thirsty. Salt creates thirst. And I want to invite us to speak in such a way that people want more. That it makes people thirsty. And as people are thirsty, we will not lead them to water that we have created. We will lead them to the living water himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who satisfies every thirst for all of eternity. So let's be people whose speech is seasoned with salt, always with grace season with salt so that look at what the text says so that we will know how we should respond to each person every person with whom we engage will be different every person in every conversation is different they have different backgrounds they have different needs they have different hurts they have different questions they have different personality types everybody we talk to is different And the goal for believers is to know the Lord Jesus Christ so well, to walk so closely with Him, to cherish the gospel so dearly, to know the Bible so thoroughly that we can properly represent Jesus in every conversation we have with every person we talk to, that we can weave gospel threads into every conversation and we can lead people toward the Lord in every conversation we have with them. And that will be a different track for every single person. So what we're not talking about here is a memorized outline that is presented in a way that is awkward and cumbersome. What we're talking about here is conversation, to be journeyed and enjoyed with people, always leading them to the truth about Jesus, always revealing to them, even as we talk about baseball the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we talk about the weather, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our tone and in our content, we are preaching the gospel to people. R.C. Sproul, I think, brilliantly points out that Jesus' teaching, how he taught in parables, is an excellent illustration of the kind of speech that Paul is talking about in today's passage. His words were memorable, exciting, and attracted many to follow him. They were salty. Jesus had salty speech, But at the same time, there was no hint that he pandered to the crowds, for many people are also turned off by his teaching. In preaching the gospel and living out its implications, we must do our best to follow his example in these things. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. If you want to know what it looks like to have your speech, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to give a response to every person, you need to look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect one at this. And we can... we can learn so much through the Gospels about how to engage with people. So there are two big applications from the text today. Number one, walk with wisdom. And number two, talk with grace. Walk with wisdom and talk with grace. When we talk about walking with wisdom, I'll say seek wisdom. Seek after that wisdom so that you can walk with it. Seek after wisdom in Bible study, in prayer, in in prayer, and in community. Seek that wisdom and exercise that wisdom. Exercise that wisdom in your daily living, in normal situations that come up every day. Live out a wise lifestyle. Don't just build up your mind. This is what I'm I'm getting at. Don't just seek after the wisdom. Don't just study the Bible and ask God to give you wisdom and then sit on the couch all the time but rather exercise that wisdom. Live it out in situations that come up every day because they are watching. Always watching, right? They are always watching and they are always learning about Jesus by how you walk. And this is why times of suffering in particular are such great opportunities for Christian witness. They're watching. How will we respond? To the present suffering. How will we respond to the present crisis? Will we handle this just, just like everyone else? Or will we be different? Because we have a different hope. Because we have different priorities. Because we have different values. Because we have a different life. Times of suffering are great opportunities to walk in a way that is wise. Walk in a way that is wise toward outsiders so that they will see. Jesus in us. So, number one, walk with wisdom. Number two, talk with grace. Talk with grace. Let the message of the gospel always be on your lips. Talk about the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God. Talk about the sinfulness and rebellion of man. Talk about the sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Talk about the urgency of eternity and the necessity of repentance and faith. Talk about these things. Let that message be on your lips. But make sure the way you speak, whether it's about the gospel, whether it's about baseball or the weather, make sure the way you speak undergirds and supports your gospel proclamation. Make sure the way you speak fits with what you speak, your tone, your vocabulary. Make sure the way you speak fits with what you speak. I think my parents would say it like this. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Or I will wash it out with soap. We want to be careful with our mouths. We want to recognize that, man, our mouths can deliver the message of life and light and hope to people who are lost and dead. And our mouths can tear down and bring death and destruction. Watch your mouth. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. Let's pray together. Father, we we need help with this. We know that you've made us new creatures called us out and given us hope and life you've designed for us to walk in a different way and yet we're so weak we're so frail we're so prone to wander as we sang earlier prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love we we are prone to those kind of things and we want to live in righteousness we want to live in holiness we want to walk with wisdom so give us wisdom through your word by your spirit Through the community of faith, give us wisdom so that we will know how to walk in this world. And we want to talk with grace. We want our speech to be seasoned with salt. We want to be ready to give a response to everyone. And we know that you want these things for us. And so we know that you desire to empower us to live this way. So help us as we walk away from this time together, this time in the Word, this time in singing, Help us to make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity that's out there during this unique season, help us to live with urgency for the gospel, for the advance of your kingdom, and be honored as we walk. May it be in a manner that is pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray.